The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It all started with a line of code written on a bus traveling from Boston to New York. That code is now the foundation for Dropbox, a cloud-based file sharing service that allows you to share and store and access any file from any device anywhere. Today, Dropbox is valued at $10 billion with 400 million users in 200 countries around the world. Joining me today on Studio 1.0, co-founder and CEO of Dropbox, Drew Houston. So great to have you, Drew. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So my life, is stored on Dropbox, 252 gigabytes. All right. Is that a lot? That's, that's, that's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the criticism of Dropbox is that it's so simple that other companies can do it too. Google, Microsoft, Apple, Box. Mm. How do you compete with that? What makes it a good business? Yeah. Well, so I'd be curious to hear why you use Dropbox, but, um, or why you continue to use Dropbox. But the, for our users, um, I think it's a couple things. Uh, a few things. So one is, is the product is really easy to use. And the other thing is it's the most popular service of its kind in the world. Um, and if you share things on Dropbox, it's much more likely that if I share something with you, um, that you're already going to have it. Uh, it's going to be a, a better experience. Dropbox has 400 million users now. Yes. Who are they? Where are they? The vast majority of our users are actually outside the US, so some, more than two thirds. Um, and it's been that way since the beginning because people use Dropbox again, not just for stores, but for sharing. And that's been at the heart of how we grow. You grew up outside of Boston. What kind of kid were you? When did you get into computers? <laughs> I think it started in a living room when I was in the living room when I was maybe three. Um, my dad had just taken this this big thing out of a box and it was an IBM PC Junior. Um, and so my parents have pictures of me kind of like I wasn't very tall so I'd sit in the chair and try to like reach up and over into the keyboard and they have pictures of me trying to mash the keys. Um, and so I, was, I think I was mesmerized from an early age by this glowing screen. My dad showed me how to write uh, my first lines of code when I was really little. Um, he was an engineer? He was an engineer. And your yeah. mom kind of resisted this, right? I think she just was sort of puzzled because she's like, you know, aren't, aren't kids supposed to be playing with Legos and going outside? And, and, they, and they definitely urged me to, or made sure that my siblings and I had that kind of balance. So you went on to MIT. Tell me about this founding story, the line of code that was written on the bus. I was on this trip to New York and I forgot my thumb drive. And so uh, this was in the days before the iPhone. So this was in the era when like, you didn't have anything to do, like you really didn't have anything to do, <laughs> right? You're like, God, I hate myself. You know, I keep doing this, I'm so disorganized. You know, why, um, uh, why does this keep happening? And so because I had a bunch of time, I just opened up the editor. Um, and started writing some code, having no idea what this would turn into. You know, you hear entrepreneurs talk about starting companies, it's like staring into the abyss of death, I believe Elon Musk said, or swallowing shards of broken glass. <laughs> what was it like for you? I, mean, I don't think it was that dramatic. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I add up all the times I forgot my thumb drive or, or had to deal with all these problems, it was like, you know, days of my life that were just wasted. Um, and, so, and so that was a motivator, but you fast forward to, to today, 
Um, people save a billion files in Dropbox. Like the technical and design challenges involved in building um, something at that scale are, are really exciting for an engineer. How many employees do you have now? I think about 1,200, maybe 1,300. What does the bulk of the workforce do? That 1,300 today is, is up from maybe 500 at the beginning of last year. Every time I wait a few weeks, I'm like, okay, we probably have another office somewhere. Everything from the engineering of the product to the uh, design, the user interface design, um, people uh, involved in the marketing. How many people are focused on security, for example? So we have a dedicated security team. So that's you know people that are really involved in security. Probably a couple dozen that are like dedicated across a different. Uh, there's all these different facets of security. Um, and more broadly, you think about people who build our infrastructure or sort of um, are responsible for the reliability of the service, and it's much bigger, probably an order of magnitude bigger than that. What does the office of the future look like? Well, I think there's a lot more freedom. In the old days, you're, you, know, you would show up at work, and they'd issue you a laptop and a phone, and they'd say, you must use these things. Um, and now, as we all know, we, we have a lot of choice, right? And people are using all kinds of different devices. Um, and so people, I think that's a, become a basic expectation of anybody at work wants to have choice. And Dropbox is instrumental to that because we support all the different platforms. The other thing is people expect to uh, work on their own terms, right? So they want to be mobile, they don't want to be tied down to any one environment. Uh, and a big part of what people love about Dropbox is that they can be free to work from anywhere. And all this choice means there's a lot more fragmentation. If you've got stuff in your calendar, you've got stuff in your email, you've got stuff in your Dropbox. And so it's kind of a mess. And so a big thing we think about is how can we tie together all these different things that you use. But I think that expectation of freedom and seamlessness uh, is, is something that's really important and, and it's a big area of our focus is there's a lot of things we can make easier. Those 400 million users, how many of those are paying customers? Most people are using the product for free. Um, and if you need more space, you can buy more. Now Dropbox is in 8 million businesses. Um, that's up from 4, year, four million even just maybe a year and a half ago, or two years ago. Um, and we have 100,000 paying business customers. Who are like the biggest Fortune 500 companies that you've signed up? The vast majority of the Fortune 500 are using Dropbox in some capacity. But there's a lot of household company kind of, or household name kind of companies using Dropbox from the Under Armour's of the world, Hyatt Hotels, um, and every quarter we're adding big new customers. What's been the biggest challenge in terms of penetrating the enterprise? I think that, uh, you know, businesses, uh, Every technology kind of goes through this, this curve where in the beginning people are a little bit unsure about it. And I think in the last couple of years it started to flip where actually people realize actually it's safer to have our information and services like Dropbox and in, and in the cloud in general uh, the same way that you know, we don't put our cash under our mattresses anymore and the bank does a pretty good job of, of taking care of that. What's the value proposition to a business to choose Dropbox over, for example, Box that focuses entirely on businesses? Like anybody can provide storage. More and more it's about, okay, of course my stuff is gonna live in the cloud. Uh, organize it for me, you know, help me search it, help me share with other people, help me collaborate on this document. And storage is just an ingredient. Another big part of your strategy is building apps on top of that. So you have Mailbox for email, you have Carousel for photos. How are, how are those products do, doing? Good. Um, you know, each of those is a new kind of adventure. So if Dropbox has 400 million users, how many users do those services have? We don't break them out separately, um, but those have been growing too. We want to make sure the product is right before we really spread our new apps through, through our network. Why is Dropbox worth $10 billion? We're at 8 million businesses now. There's 
you know, orders of magnitude more than that in the world. There's a ton of room for us to grow, and even at 400 million users, there's still billions of people on the internet. And you look at how much, how valuable that problem is. I mean, you look, the, the things that people put in their Dropbox are like their most important possessions, right? The stuff in your Dropbox is stuff that you, if your house were burning down, you would, you, you would go get, right? And for a company, making their team productive, um, having a safe place for their most important information, like these are extremely valuable things, or valuable problems that we solve. We're shipped on most Samsung phones out of the box. Uh, we just partnered with Microsoft last year to build Dropbox support natively into Office. Um, and so there, there's a lot going on and, and, and investors see the potential here. You've always said Dropbox is a standalone company. Do you have that same conviction today that you had two years ago, three years ago, eight years ago when you started this? For sure. And I think it's important that we're, or being independent allows us to support all the different platforms equally. You see as the other companies try to move in this space, they tend to favor the pl their native platform kind of at the expense of the others. Um, and so that's something that's really core, that, that, that sort of Switzerland approach is, is really valuable to us and valuable to our users. How do you weigh the decision to go public versus raise more money in this environment? Well, we've, unfortunately, the, we've been able to do a lot in the private markets. Um, and so, you know, we've even been able to raise money that we haven't really even needed. So Why take uh, it if you don't need it? Well, I think we want flexibility, right? And there's, we, we do everything from investment infrastructure, we've made a ton of acquisitions. Uh, having a stronger balance sheet gives us flexibility to make big long-term investments. Do you have the cash right now that you need to reach your long-term goals? Oh, for sure. And we have control. I mean, we, we, the, the important thing for us is, uh, right now, is not just generating a bunch of cash, it's really to keep investing. So could you go public without raising any more money? Could you get to that place? For sure is raising this money means we're not forced to really go in any particular direction and we can just stay focused on, on building and growing our audience. So what are your plans to go public? We don't, we don't have any right now. Um, and again, that's, that's, that's what we get with the flexibility from raising this money. What have you learned from Box's IPO? It's gotten hammered. One thing I take away is, is I'm really happy we have our approach of, of having, you know, our sales force of hundreds of millions of people means that we don't have to spend the kind of money that others do uh, on sales and marketing. Are you profitable? Uh, we, we don't break that out right now. Um, but again, like our investors are happy. Uh, things have been going well. And, uh, and our, our focus is really not on profitability right now. It's really on investing and, and growing. Mark Andreessen has warned about burn rates and founders and companies burning through cash too quickly. What's your view on that? Well, I think the, you know, it has to start with your business model, right? And, and we're fortunate that uh, our model hasn't really changed that much since 2008. We've been largely funded by our users, not our investors. How do you balance between the fancy office and the company perks and making sure that, again, you're being responsible? So we have really great office space, uh, and we invest in things to make our employees' lives easier. Um, but as far as, you know, you're not going to see like super expensive paintings or other like, we, we, really, we really take care to make sure it doesn't look like opulent or, um, you know, one danger companies can run into if, is, you know, giving everybody this impression that we've made it. Um, and so we've, we've tried to be balanced. One of the things I've heard, and this is just word on the street, but that Dropbox is losing some talented engineers. How hard is it to keep good people? I think that's all part of the war on talent, is sort of sowing information like that. Okay. <laughs> Um, 
So it's not happening. So, no, we, we've, I mean, so certainly people, like, it's like a it's sort of circle of life. It's not, it, people don't join any company, expect to stay there for their entire lives. Um, but no, we've, our recruiting numbers have been better than ever. Really? We're growing How so? our engineering team faster than ever. Um, well, I mean, our close, like we look at, we monitor, you know, close rates and things like how many engineers are joining. We don't break that out. Um, but, I mean, that's, a, that's another thing about building a great engineering team is they all have friends and people that they worked with at previous companies. And if you get a core of really great people, then it makes it easier to recruit the next round of great people. If you program in Python, we have the creator. You'll be sitting near the, the creator of the Python programming language. So, like, building this amazing uh, roster of people makes it, really exciting for, uh, for those that consider joining. What's Dropbox's moonshot? Well, I think our hands are pretty full trying to build this <laughs> home for like all the world's like, uh, for everyone's most important information. And what Google, companies like Google have done for the world's public information, we're trying to do for the world's private information. Uber is working on self-driving cars. Airbnb is going into Cuba. What's Dropbox gonna do? Is there a stretch goal? Take something like Carousel for instance, and you might be like, okay, here's a photo app from Dropbox. Um, but when you step back, we're like, okay, I had this problem of like, my photos are in 100 different places. In the future, you should be able to have every photo you've ever taken with you, wherever you are, uh, and in your pocket. And then you multiply that times hundreds of millions of people, you're like, okay, this is one of the largest collections of human memories ever assembled. We wanna completely reimagine how people work. We want to completely reimagine how people remember their lives. Um, and so those are going to keep us busy for a long time. How much do you think about building your own servers? Is that something you would ever do? Um, well, I mean, we, we invest a ton in our own infrastructure. Uh, we also rent a bunch of infrastructure from Amazon, so we're really big Amazon Web Services customers. And I think for, for a lot of our infrastructure, uh, you, we can get a lot out of just commodity servers or commodity hardware, and um, you know there may be additional gains by trying to bring some of that in the house. But there's already companies all over that do a good job of that. You're 30. 32. 32 years young. Um, what's the hardest lesson you've learned as a CEO? Um, well, I think the hardest uh, challenges are really around people. You know, how do you bring like 1,300 people together and, and get them all pointed in the same direction? In any kind of group, there's going to be people that are unhappy. So how do you, you know, get everybody to work well together and collaborate, even if they have like very different backgrounds? I know you're friends with Mark Zuckerberg. Like, what kind of advice has he given you? Uh, so he's given me a lot of advice just on company scaling. Um, you know, how, how do you organize people? You know, how do you set up these systems? Like, at scale, you have to be a lot more thoughtful about, okay, how do you compensate people, how do you think about their um, things, mundane things like their titles or how people advance. How do you decide where to place bets, right? Because you have early stage things, you have more mature products, you have this whole portfolio. Um, how do you keep that running uh, when the challenges are so different at, at either end of the spectrum? So it's, it's a lot of things like that. Your, your co-founder, um, Arash, I, I read that it was like married at first sight at the beginning. <laughs> Something like that. You got along famously. <laughs> um, but how has your relationship with him changed over the years? I think, I think it's been pretty, pretty steady. Uh, I think we, uh, we've kind of grown up together doing this. So our values have really been shaped by going through this experience together. Now you went through the Y Combinator program. I know you, you pitched Paul Graham in the early days. 
One thing that he told us was that on your first application, you said you would sell Dropbox for a million dollars. That's right. Obviously, that's changed. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, well, no one was really willing to offer us a million dollars, so there wasn't really <laughs> an opportunity there. It was good that you didn't get that offer, right? Yeah, I think, you know, then and still today, what really motivates us was like building something that people really love. Meeting Steve Jobs, how did that happen? What was that like? I, I it was interesting. So they, so Apple uh, became aware of Dropbox relatively early on, and, and they were curious, sorry, it was well below uh, or it wasn't Steve who first learned about it, but we had some conversations with their team because they were curious about how we managed uh, to put the little green icons on the files. It turns out to do that was actually a pretty tough technical challenge. And so what we kind of had to do is this open heart surgery on the finder on code that we didn't write. And, the, and their team understood that this was kind of some pretty crazy acrobatics. Um, and, and something that no other company had done. Eventually, it ended up Steve uh, reached out and wanted to talk to us. And so we're like, you know, we, we had repeatedly said, look, we're not interested in selling the company. Um, we're still not interested in selling the company. We want to be respectful of your time. But, you know, if you, you want to hang out, sure. <laughs> and so it was, it was wild. You know, we get up in the morning, we get in the zip car, and, you know, we're like, okay, we got to go to one infinite loop. And, oh, it's already in the phone. <laughs> you know, in the iPhone. So we're like, okay, go. Perfect. Um, and, you know, I think we talked for, I think the formal part of the meeting was maybe 15 minutes where it was pretty clear. We, um, they were interested in buying the company, but we, uh, you know, we were just having fun building it and weren't interested in selling. And, and you said, I want to buy you? Uh, he, in so many words, sure, yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about number. I, I didn't, but, you know, it's important for me. I didn't want to, Get, kind of get, go too far down that path. Um, and, and we spent the rest of the time just talking about, you know, I had a lot of questions about, uh, you know, why he came back to Apple and why Cupertino and, and um, you know, he had different advice for us. And, and, and it was, he, he spent a lot more time than he needed to with us because, uh, you know, we, we were pretty clear that um, we weren't going to sell the company. But he was also taunting us a little bit. He's like, look, we're going to have to come after you. Um, well, they did. They unveiled <laughs> iCloud. <laughs> yeah. um, How do you think that's worked fun. out for them? Well, I think the, the product solved different problems. What people really love about Dropbox is that it is so much easier to use. You're not locked into any one platform. I mean, obviously, Apple had a you know huge problem. It, iCloud wasn't hacked, but people's passwords sure. were hacked. You know, how do you make sure that doesn't happen to Dropbox? We have teams, account security teams, of people that that think about okay, what can we do even if you are kind of sloppy with your passwords or reuse things. We try to proactively identify suspicious behavior and things like that. So we, we, we go at it from a whole bunch of different angles. How has your personal life changed now that you're rich and famous? <laughs> uh, I think people would be surprised. It's not, it's not actually that different. I mean, I still spend most of my waking hours thinking about Dropbox. Um, You've been on uh, Silicon Valley, an HBO hit show. Yes, I had a very important role <laughs> standing there at a cocktail party. Um, it's fun. I think I look at all this as kind of just a new whole series of, of interesting experiences. What's next for Drew Houston? Uh, well, we, we've got a, we've got a lot of work to do. What do you want your place in Silicon Valley history to be? Well, I think Arash and I both uh, the the two things we really care about are one we want to create 
like a, a great company and a, a place where people can do their best work. And um, you know, our, our culture is a little bit. I mean, we, we admire all the other companies, but we have our own um, distinctive culture, and, and there's, there's a handful of aspects of that we really want to preserve. For me, it's really okay. How do we? You know, we're we're at pretty big scale now. Like, what does it mean to get to 10x that? Or, you know, we solve a lot of problems for people today. How? What are ways that we can um, go even further and you know build this kind of treasure? Like, this home for everybody's most important stuff is something that matters to a lot of people. At any point, have you ever regretted not selling? Not selling to Steve Jobs? No, no. It's you know, it's a, there's good times and there's hard times, but it's it's all. And it's all part of the adventure. All right. Drew Houston, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Thank it's you. Great to have you here. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.